You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning. How are you today? You all right? You alive? You good? You get what? I mean, it's a beautiful day. Can you not be appreciative? It's a great day outside. No rain in the forecast for today, so get out and enjoy it. It's been a wet, wet summer. Um, I'm going to get into the message just a minute. Before I do, I feel compelled to just take a moment and uh, speak to what we've all been grieving about this week in the news, and the news about uh, what's happened in the Catholic Church, the, the grand jury report. Um, folks like you... My faith is shaken. My faith in people is shaken. My faith in Jesus isn't shaken, but my faith in people is shaken. And I want to make sure that we separate the two because I think it's hard for people to do that. And uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it, and I don't intend to do that. I, I think that it is high time that um, things get out in the open because a culture of secrecy and power and privacy and all that goes on is just ripe for abuse. And um, as sad as it is, and the saddest part is for the victims, they're the people that need our prayers. Um, and um, I've known some of those, and I, I, my heart breaks for them. Um, there are a lot of wonderful priests. There are a lot of great priests. Please, don't color the whole church because of that. Um, you know, I'm a great Penn State fan, and we know the history of Penn State that was all colored by one man's behaviors. Let's not color, you know, the whole Catholic Church because of that. But at the same time, this is important to get out in the open so things change. Things change. And so let's pray for the change to happen. Let's pray for the church. When I think of the church, I think of the big C, you know, and the creed, the Holy Catholic Church, that's us too. Because we all get colored by this. We all, people's faith in Christianity is shaken by this. And my, my hope is that um, out of this, you know, judgment begins with the house of God. Let it start here. Let the church get things right and get things order. And let's move on into the future in a healthier, more positive way. But this needs to stop. And, you know, we as a church are very diligent about caring for our children and protecting them and not, uh, you know, fostering any relationships or any opportunities for these things to happen. But you know as well as I do that people are flawed. And, um, and it's unfortunate that uh, in a culture where it wasn't dealt with the way that it should be now with hindsight, you know, looking back on it, they'll say we should have done it better, but now it's time to move forward better. My whole point is I want to I just get it out in the open and say, folks, my heart grieves with yours. And um, it is a sad, sad day for Christianity. And I don't think this news is going to go away anytime soon. But let's separate Christ from Christ's flawed followers, if we can do that. 
and recognize that everybody is flawed. And if the right atmosphere was there for any one of us, we would give in to temptation. And so we need to protect ourselves and let this be a warning for all of us. Can you pray with me? Let's just bow our hearts. Lord, we just weep today and grieve for your church that you love and you died for. And we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And that's why these kinds of things need to get out so that they can be dealt with and that your church can be healed and move forward. So we pray for that. We pray for the people that have been wounded and hurt, the victims of this, and for the victimizers who are dealing with demons inside themselves that just need to be exercised in some way, shape, or form. So God, I pray, I pray, I pray for all of us that we would be um, um, diligent in our own personal lives and, 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 and in praying for uh, your, your church to move forward. So thank you. Thank you so much that you're the one that is in control. And as flawed as humanity is, God, you still died for us. You still loved us and you gave yourself for us. So help us to rise up and be better followers of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, we are coming to the end or close to the end of our summer sermon series that we have called Page Turner. We've looked at the book of Acts in three volumes, and we are in volume three, which is we're calling Overcome. It's from Acts 12 on, where the church just just moved forward in the, in the, in the, the Greco-Roman world and spread through the missionary work of Peter and Philip and, and Paul and Barnabas, and, and we saw how it, how it grew. And it's all part of this whole year that we've been talking about um, Stepping forward by, by, by living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, that passage in Galatians we've hit on so often. But here it is. The theme verse in Acts is Acts chapter 1-8. We've been hitting on it all the time. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the promise of God. The church is going to move forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it, it falls short. We flaw, we get flawed. So, so we move forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in this series, the first volume was about awaken and how the church was awakened to the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter was awakened to his authority as uh, uh, preaching the gospel and leading the church. The, the people were awakened to how to have a great community and a new community and deal with one another equitably and in fellowship. The second part of it was transformed and how Paul, the persecutor, was transformed into the great preacher that he was, that Peter was transformed from just thinking about Judaism to believing that the Gentiles could be converted. And now we're in this Overcome series, and we've come to Acts chapter 15. And so today I want to talk about a subject that is very, very close to you. It's something you deal with all the time. You really do. Even when you don't know you're dealing with it, you're dealing with it. We all face this issue. If you're breathing today, you deal with today's issue on a regular basis. And so the topic today in Acts chapter 15 is a topic we love, I say that sarcastically, conflict. 
How many of you love conflict? Oh boy, I know you do. I know you do because you you buy it. You watch it on television all the time. You you you're you're a mark. You if there's not conflict, it's not fun to watch. We're a part of this. We we just we just we we do it. We consume it all the time. But we deal with it all the time. It's easier to watch on television and see other people in conflict than it is to be in conflict ourselves. Years ago, 1992, the world was shaken by a video of a man who was pulled out of his truck and beaten almost to death by the LA police, Rodney King, you remember that, and riots that broke out in LA and in other parts of the country. And remember Rodney King's famous saying when he was interviewed, when he said, people, can't we all just get along? Here we are 26 years later. How we doing? How we doing? But what if, let me just go another direction for a second. What if we all could get along? I mean, what if there was no such thing as conflict? How boring would life be without it, right? I mean, imagine political campaigns where the, uh, the, 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 the opponents just talk up the other person. Oh, he's such a great person. I love him. I love his points of view. I mean, I can't imagine that. Imagine there's no crime, no wars, no police department, no militaries. Imagine television without conflict. Think about that. You know, no talking heads debating, no crime shows, no betrayal, no heated competition. No Fox News, no CNN, no Law and Order, no NCIS, no Amazing Race, no Shark Tank. I mean, television would be 24 hours, Golf Channel, and, and the Antiques Rogue Show. <laughs> you know. I mean, how boring would that be? I personally would love it. But I'm a boring person, so. But listen to what the Bible says, just a few verses about what the Bible says about conflict. First Corinthians, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He writes elsewhere, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. There should be no divisions in the body. Its parts should all be, have equal concern for each other. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity through the bond of peace. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Live at peace with each other. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And that's just from one of the scripture writers. But how do you think he did with conflict? Because Acts 15 deals with him personally. I find it very interesting. So today, we're going to look at how to overcome conflict. If you have your scripture, Acts 15, turn there because Acts 15 is all about conflict. The, the biggest two-thirds of it or three-fourths of, of that chapter is about the first church conflict. It's about the Council of Jerusalem and this idea of institutional or corporate conflict. So 
we have this. These culture wars is what that's about. And then the last part of it, it's about interpersonal conflict, and that's where Paul's conflict comes into play. So I'm going to invite you to just sort of diagnose this with me. And I understand this might feel a little more like a seminar than a sermon, but hopefully it'll land with us. But let me begin by defining conflict, if you don't mind. Conflict has been defined as a condition in which two people's concerns appear incompatible. It's a good definition, don't you think? And right now you're thinking of the incompatible conditions, concerns that you have with people in your life. Uh, It's just natural. A condition in which two people's concerns appear incompatible. And so let's take a look at this first one. We want to diagnose this first story. It's, it's, I said it's church conflict. It's corporate conflict. It's cultural, institutional conflict. Let me just lay the story out for you, and then we'll talk about it. Here's what it says, Acts 15. It begins by saying this. While Paul and Barnabas were in Syria, last week you heard about Paul and Barnabas, how they were teammates, Going out, they'd been, Barnabas basically discipled Paul. He's the one that welcomed Paul into the church in Jerusalem when nobody else would welcome Paul. He took Paul under his wing and discipled him. He took him to the church in Antioch where he got grounded and got his preaching skills. And and then they went on their first missionary tour together. So these guys were tight. And uh, so here they are. They're in Antioch of Syria. So they're not in Jerusalem. They're, you know, they're in this culture, this church that's a lot more culturally diverse than the church in Jerusalem because you have these Hellenistic people, Jews, that are coming to Christ and Greeks and Romans who have no Jewish background coming to Christ. And, uh, and so they're, they're in this diverse community here in Antioch. So while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judah, now that's Jerusalem, is the capital of Judea, I'm sorry, Judea, they arrived and they began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, how do you think that landed in the church in Antioch? Not so well. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. And finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the other local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. This is the first church conference or church council recorded right here in the book of Acts. You think, well, church conflict? That doesn't happen. Well, it's been here from the beginning. Because conflict has been around from the beginning. And so it goes on to talk about how as they traveled from Antioch, which is northern along the coast, down south toward Judea, they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they would just continue to tell about all the good things, and the Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus. But notice what he says in verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders, And they reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers, and notice this, who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, 
stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised as required to follow the law of Moses. Do you get that? So let's analyze this conflict. There are these disagreeing parties, and basically it is a clash of cultures. It is a clash of cultures. It's, a, it's the, the Judaistic, traditional, customary, let's follow Moses. He's the founder of our faith. We follow the law of Moses. You know, Jesus had a lot of conflict with these Pharisees, and he combated them because they were so legalistic. They were so committed to interpreting Moses' teaching literally and to the point where they would add laws to what Moses was saying in order to keep them from breaking the laws that Moses wrote. So they were all about living, you know, towing the line. Now, when you're raised in a, in a, in a culture like that, it, it sinks deep inside of you. You feel like, if I don't obey these rules, then I'm a sinner. If I don't, if I get outside of these rules, guilt and shame uh, come upon me. And so I am committed to upholding these traditions and these customs and these standards because in my mind, that's what makes me holy. That's what makes me right with God is being better than other people. Keeping these rules is, is, is vitally important to my identity and who I am. So we would call these the traditionalists or the conservatives, if you want to call it that, the traditionalists that wanted to keep the traditions and keep the customs that they had growing up in Phariseeism. But they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And so they, made, they converted to Christ. They believed that he was the Messiah, which was a big leap for them to believe Jesus was risen from the dead and he was the Messiah that they had hoped for. But they had incompatible concerns with these Greeks, these Gentiles, who were coming into the same churches, the same faith, the followers of the way. It was in Antioch where they were first called Christians, by the way, in the church there. And so they go up there and they say, well, we got to straighten these people out and tell them that you know, it's, it's okay that you're coming to Jesus, but to really be saved, you got to be Jewish because Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was circumcised. Jesus celebrated the holidays. Jesus fulfilled the law. We believe that. He didn't throw Moses under the bus. In fact, he was the fulfillment of Moses. So let's, let's not throw Moses away with Jesus. In fact, if you believe in Jesus, you have to embrace the same customs and traditions that we have. So you have this debate, this clash of cultures. So that was the concern of the, of, the, of, of the traditionalists. They valued Moses. They were concerned that they were going to lose their customs and their traditions if they compromised their values. Do you understand that? Do you see how that would be a problem for them? But then you had Paul and Barnabas and then the, the church in Antioch that was much more diverse and their concerns were, well, we want these Gentiles to come into the fold. We want them to come to Christ. And we see that the Holy Spirit has shown us that God accepts them by baptizing them in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And if they got that the way we did, who are we to say that God doesn't accept them? So 
Let's, let's, let's embrace these people. Yeah, they may not have the same customs and traditions that we grew up with because all of the first apostles were grew, growing up in the Judaistic culture. But they were a little more progressive. They were a little say, okay, well, we'll welcome them into the fold, even though they don't have the same customs and traditions as us because it looked like the Holy Spirit was doing it. Who are we to say no? So the overarching question that, that was debated at the Jerusalem Council was, does one, must one become fully Jewish in order to be fully saved? That was really the debate. Notice how they came to a resolution. Beginning of verse 6, it says, So the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. They weren't going to just continue to hold their lines and fight. They wanted to resolve it, which is the first step of saying, we have a disagreement. We see things differently. Can we at least talk about it? Duh. Is this something we need to hear today in our culture? So let's meet to resolve it. And so at the meeting, after a long discussion, notice that, after a long discussion, I don't know how long it was, but it had to have been long enough for them to hear both sides and let everybody air their concerns. So after a long discussion, Peter stood up and he addressed them as follows. And take note of what Peter says here. Brothers, you know, now Peter again is recognized as the leader of the church. Brothers, you know, you all know, that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. He goes on to say, God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between them and us for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Remember Peter and his dealings with Cornelius and he had to really come to this understanding himself because he was among the, the people that were far more traditionalist until God changed his heart. He goes on and he, he says to the crowd, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. Verse 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That statement set the course of human history. Think about it. Had he not made that statement, we would not be sitting here today. We would not be in the place today understanding that God accepts we who are not raised Jewish, who are not obeying the Jewish customs, who are not uh, becoming Jewish in order to be Christian. Christianity would always have been a sect of Judaism, one of the sects of Judaism that believes that so-and-so was the Messiah and he died and rose again and you should follow him. As there are in Judaism, there are a lot of different sects among Judaism. Some believe that there is a Messiah on earth today and some believe there, there has always been false messiahs, but because he said that right there, 
to change the course of human history and we are able to be followers and believers of Jesus today. But notice, they met to resolve the issue. They, they were intentional about airing their differences. The church could have split then and you would have had the Antiochian church that went one direction and the Jerusalem church that went another direction. And not that the church hasn't split many times since then, don't get me wrong. But, but they, they said, let's figure this out. And then Peter stood up and he shared his experience with Cornelius and the others. And then he made this we believe statement, which is a, a creed, so to speak. This is what we believe. And that changed the course of human history. So, and not just human history, it changes the course of human beings. <laughs> Knowing that I'm saved by the, by the grace of God alone changed my life. How about you? How about you? It wasn't just a bunch of rules and regulations to follow to make myself feel spiritual. So notice as it goes on, if you don't mind here. Everyone listened quietly then after Peter spoke, Barnabas and Paul got up. And they talked about the experiences they had, the miraculous signs and wonders among the Gentiles. Hey folks, look at what God is doing among these people. See how God is, is, is reaching them and performing miracles and telling of their experience. And then James, the brother of Jesus, stood up. So you have Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And then James, the brother of Jesus, gets up and he speaks and listens to what he says. He says, brothers, listen to me. Peter told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them, for, take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And so what does he do? He goes to the Hebrew Scriptures. Paul, Peter talks about his experience. James goes to Scripture. Do you see the importance of having experience and Scripture to make a point? And so he quotes from the prophet Amos, and he says, quotes from Amos, he says, afterward I'll return, restore the fallen house of David, I'll rebuild its ruins, I'll restore it, the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. And those I've called to be mine. And the Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. And so James quotes the scripture, and then he follows it up with this statement. He says, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I land on the side of letting the Gentiles in, letting them be a part of us. Let's not be the judge of the Gentiles. Let's let God be the judge of the Gentiles. And it looks like he is judging them and welcoming them. Instead, we should write to tell the people. Now, he turns the page here, though. And he says, instead, let's write and tell the church in Antioch that abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat, from strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in, Jeru in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So do you see the turn right there? Let's honor the concerns of those who want to welcome the Gentiles. But can we also not honor the concerns and the values of the traditionalists? Because Moses taught these things. 
No, we won't make them get circumcised. No, we won't make them go through all the Jewish rites. But you know what? Sexual morality is pretty clear. Idolatry is pretty clear. You know, these other dietary things were preached in Moses and every synagogue. Let's not make them change that right now. <laughs> Let's not push them too hard. Let's reach an agreement. Do you see how these two concerns, because they had both staked out positions, Paul and Barnabas and the Antioch church, we want to welcome the Gentiles. The Pharisees, we stake out a position. No, they have to become Jewish. And James says, what are your concerns? What are your concerns? Let's talk about our concerns. How can we find a solution that meets each of our different concerns and move forward from there so the church can continue to go forward? Folks, that is a lesson on conflict resolution right there, right there in Scripture. It's profound. So some things I noticed from this is Barnabas and Paul talked about their experience. James appealed to Scripture. I already said that the two are both valid arguments to make a point. The traditionalists ended up respecting the concerns of the progressives who valued the Gentiles who were turning to God. The progressives respected the concerns of the traditionalists who valued tradition and Moses. And here's the point I want us to walk away from today. Max Lucado said this years ago. He said, conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Can we not have conflict without combat? Conflict is, is not a bad thing. When it's done right, it's constructive, and it helps us to make positive change. Uh, somebody said that conflict is like electricity. It can light up a house, or it can burn a house down. And we want it to be positive. We want it to be constructive. So let's just summarize real quickly here, and then talk about the last part of the chapter. How to have a healthy conflict? Someone said that we need to practice firm flexibility. What do I mean by that? It was a coin or a term coined by uh, a professor out of uh, State University in New York, Buffalo, Professor Dean Pruitt. Firm flexibility is stating your concerns firmly, but being flexible with your position or your solutions. Here's the problem today. We see it all around us, not the least of which in our government today, where people stake out a position. And once you stake out a position, you're announcing, this is my solution. I understand that this is where I stand, and I am not going to change because I believe I'm right, and I stake out my position, or I announce my solution. And each one, each side stakes out their positions and they are not going to talk about the underlying concerns and values. So why don't we just be flexible with our positions? Let's talk about what are your concerns? My concerns are taking care of the poor, helping those who can't help themselves, sharing the wealth, being kind and considering compassionate to immigrants and welcoming people. My concern is safety and security. My concern is we don't want to restrict business and we don't want to hold back commerce. You know, 
These are our concerns. Are there ways that we can talk about these concerns and find a way to move forward where each of these concerns are met? Can we not learn from the early church and how they resolved something like this? But we do this in our marriages. I want to do it this way. I don't I look, I should have looked at Teresa. <laughs> we don't do it, but we do it. This is my position. No, what are your concerns? So I, we find ourselves, and I'm asking the question, you know, when we have a disagreement, so what are your concerns? Well, these are my concerns. Can we find a way that we just help us to meet each other's concerns and find a different solution with this? Can we keep talking about that? Because once you stake out a position and you're intransigent about your position, there's no debate, no dialogue, no moving forward. All right, notice, however, I find it fascinating that in this chapter they deal with how the church resolved this, this culture war, at least temporarily, and then it ends with Paul and Barnabas having a big fight. Do you think that's intentional that the scripture has that in there? I have to ask the question, why would they include that? And that's what gives me hope because I find that scripture does not sugarcoat its heroes. In fact, when I became a new Christian, I started reading scripture the first time. I thought, you know, this isn't a myth about heroic people who can do no wrong because every one of the heroes in scripture exposes their flaws. David was an adulterer. Um, um, Abraham, the same. Um, I mean, they... The, the, the founders of the faith, Moses, had his issues. So, you know, we all see that the, the scripture is not sugarcoating conflict and people's foibles and problems, which made me think, oh, it's real. It's true, because that's life. That's life. Anyhow, we get to Paul and Barnabas. And um, I'm going to just jump to, the, jump to the chase right here. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back. Let's visit the city, each of the cities where we previously preached. Let's, let's visit the new believers and see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. And I want to bring John Mark. Paul says, no way. He's a loser. He wimped out on us. I don't want to bring a loser along. We have a task to accomplish. We have a job to get done. Barnabas says, come on, give him another chance. He has potential. Yeah, he got homesick, but he's a little older now. He could do it. No way. No way. I, need, I have a job to do, and I'm going to get it done. Barnabas, but this kid, he's a good kid. He'd be useful for you. No way. Do you see the difference? The concerns. I'm going to put a graph up for you. I want to diagnose that for you real quickly. So here we go. These are the five ways that we deal with conflict. All right? This is where it feels like a seminar, especially, okay? <laughs> so there are two axes here. The, I don't know. I think that's the X and that's the Y. I could be backwards. But anyhow, the bottom one is cooperativeness, okay? Less cooperative, more cooperative. The less cooperative you are, the more cooperative you are. This line is assertiveness. 
the unassertive person, the highly assertive person, okay? Another way to look at it is relationship is important, task is important. Where do you think Barnabas and Paul were on these axes? Barnabas was all about relationships, all about grace and mercy and keeping the relationships strong. Paul was all about getting the task done. I mean, Paul was not afraid of confrontation. Every city he went into, he got thrown out, stoned out, uh, not stoned like in one way, but literally stoned out. And, uh, and sorry, that just came out wrong. And, and, and so, you know, he was not afraid of confrontation. Barnabas, in fact, as I said earlier, Barnabas welcomed the confrontative Paul who was persecuting the church. If it wasn't for Barnabas, Paul wouldn't have been welcomed into the church to begin with. So, so anyhow, five ways of dealing with it. The avoiding, the avoiders. They're uncooperative and unassertive. I don't want to deal with it. I don't like conflict. I'm not going to talk with it. I'm just going to ignore it and hope it goes away, but it never goes away. Then there is the accommodator. That's the person that's, I'm all about keeping the relationship. I don't want to lose that relationship, so I'm going to let the other person get their way because I think the relationship is more important than getting my way or winning the argument. All right? So that's the accommodator. This is sort of a lose-lose situation because the problem doesn't go away. This is, I'm going to lose and let the other person win because the relationship is more important. And then you have the competitor, okay? It's like, I'm right, and I'm going to prove I'm right, and I'm going to pull out all the stops to make sure that I get my way because I know I'm right. And I don't care about the relationship because I need to prove I'm right. And I need to get the task done, and I'm going to get it done, and I know how to get it done, and it's my way or the highway, so get out of here if you don't get along with me. We don't know anybody like that, do we? So that's the competitor. Well, you can see there's this sort of diagonal line here and give in a little bit, get a little bit, compromise. That's sort of a win a little, lose a little situation. So ideally, in any situation, you want to get to the collaborating where, all right, we're going to save the relationship and we're going to get the job done and we're going to figure out a new way to do this. And it takes discussion and dialogue and debate and airing your concerns and upholding your values and, and, and finding creative ways to get the job done. So in this situation with Paul and Barnabas, who were great friends and partners in ministry for years, why did they go their separate ways? Was it a failure or was it a solution? Because when you first read it, you think, oh, that's so sad that they couldn't work it out. I look at it as maybe, but possibly they said, you know what? I'm going to let you have your values and I'm going to hold to my values and we're going to multiply our ministries. And I'm going to take John Mark and we're going to go to Cyprus and why don't you take Silas and you go back the other way and we'll both go our separate ways. It's been great working with you but we just can't seem to work together any longer. You go your way, God bless you. I'll go my way, God bless you. I will pray for you, you pray for me, because we see that in Scripture, Paul, in other writings, talks about Barnabas in the highest of terms, 
And at the end of Paul's life, he's writing his last letter to 2 Timothy, and he says, only Luke is with me, but can you send Mark along because he's useful to me. So it wasn't the loss of their relationship for good. It wasn't the end of them. It was a solution to a problem because they both had um, un, you know, concerns that, uh, that were incompatible. And so they say, okay, so let's, let's bring this home. Let's just land this plane for a minute, if you don't mind. How does this apply in your life? Maybe you're on that assertiveness scale and you need to be a little more cooperative. Or maybe you're on that cooperative scale and you need to be a little more assertive. Maybe you need to be more firm about your concerns and not just give in all the time, but don't stake out a position. Talk about your values and your concerns and listen and hear the other side. How does this work in your home? How does this work in your job? How does this work in your marriage? Because we all deal with it all the time. To live is to have conflict. Can you have healthy conflict with other people? Because I just believe that chapter 15 of Acts is there to teach us a lesson. And I want you to deal with conflict in a healthy way. So can I pray for you? Would you bow your heads? Would you bow your heads? I just want to ask before I pray. Um, maybe you're here this morning and you're in the midst of some pretty heavy-duty conflict. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand up and put it back down? Say, God, that's me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't worry. Yeah. And maybe you're here and you're just afraid to raise your hand, but God knows what's going on in your heart. God, you see and you know and you understand that conflict is just a part of life. Sometimes it destroys, tears us apart. And I just pray for anybody here today that's in the midst of a heart-wrenching conflict. You know what it's about. Family ones are probably the most heart-wrenching. I pray that where there's a way that people can air their concerns, uphold their values, find ways to work things out, Forgive us for being so hard-hearted and hard-headed, staking our positions and hurting others in the process. Lord, there are times when we just have to agree to disagree and go our separate ways, whether it be in business or in friendships or relationships. But I pray that people will do so with a clean heart and with understanding and respect. God, I pray for our country our world that is battling culture wars all the time. People that are caught in the middle, 
were destroyed, victimized. Words are said, lines are drawn, guns are loaded, weapons land and destroy. And we all suffer. I pray for maturity. I pray for people to have level heads and think and understand and learn how to have civil discourse, dialogue and debate and reach conclusions. And even if it's a compromise, it's, at least it's better than what we've had. I pray, God, forgive us for feeding it, consuming it, fostering it, entering it, being a part of it. May we be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Help us to be peacemakers. Let it start in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces. Let the church be a place that people look to with respect again. Look to for examples again. Help us to be a place that lifts Jesus up and is lifted up because of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.